Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the middle of March 2021. This is episode number 84 of the Drunken UX Podcast, and we are going to be answering web development questions from the WebDev subreddit. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your other other host, Aaron. How you doing, Michael? I'm on this doing middle well. of March. Spring has sprung. Spring spring has spranged. We had so. we had 70 degree weather the other day, and I almost cried. It was yep. so nice. <laughs> it will do that to you. You, see, you feel that seasonal affective disorder kind of wash away for a minute, and yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Folks, if you're enjoying the Drunken UX podcast, be sure to run by our sponsors over at New Cloud. You can check them out at newcloud.com slash drunken ux that's in you cloud.com slash drunken ux use uh use the little slash drunken ux on there so they know we sent you they do interactive maps and illustrations and and campus tours and and things like that a little more 3d stuff of of recent and and whatnot so go check them out and outside of that you can always check us out hit us up on twitter or facebook at slash drunken ux Instagram.com slash drunken UX podcast, or you can come chat with us anytime on Discord. If you go to drunkenux.com slash Discord, you will get dropped right into our Discord channel. Let's see. <laughs> early morning on a Saturday. Uh, <laughs> the drunken component of drunken UX is going to get shelved, uh, pun yeah. intended, for the morning, but uh, coffee, Look, I, and, coffee and water. I, 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 I don't, I, I'm up to like lie and say that I'm drinking something interesting, but like, I had coffee earlier. I've got water right now. Gonna go a little straight edge today. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's all right. I can't can't be drunk all the time. Um, <laughs> um, I want to talk to you real quick, Aaron, before we jump into these questions. Yeah, we've mentioned sort of passingly, um, and certainly on on Twitter and stuff. But I'm in the process of ripping our website down to its studs, and I'm mm-hmm. rebuilding the the theme in in its entirety. Mm-hmm. I want to start with uh, page speed. What what do you think the and I don't know. You maybe have have cheated and seen this in the show notes already. But what's the page speed of drunkenux dot com on on desktop right now? Um, I would think that our like main site would probably be like eighty. Okay. What do you um, think it, it would score on mobile? Oh, I have no idea. I don't usually access the site on mobile. Um, if I had to guess, um, I'll, I'm just going to arbitrarily pick 70 for okay. mobile. Um, on desktop, we scored a 69. Nice. Or wait, <laughs> no, hoping. not nice. Not nice. <laughs> I was That's hoping. bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the answer was the right answer. <laughs> on mobile, we score a 46. Holy crap, dude. What? So that's that is today right now. If you go to drunkenux.com as you're listening to this in real time, it changes a little bit from test to test, but that's a pretty pretty close approximation there from an average standpoint. Mm-hmm. A lot of that we are running WordPress, obviously. A lot of that comes from all the uh plugins that get loaded. Um we're using a theme that is a canned theme that has a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. extra stuff um, built into it it uses jquery so you've got that overhead mm-hmm. factored into mm-hmm. it um you know the way it processes images is sort of a one-size-fits-all kind of situation mm-hmm. so 
there's a lot of stuff here that's factoring in. Um, sure. I'm not going to like a static site generator. I've considered it in the past. Um, I just don't have the time to dive in that far quite yet. Um, so I haven't, I haven't done that, but my idea here is I can get rid of a canned theme and all of its settings. I can stick with just our, we use a, uh, plugin called seriously simple podcasting that just mm-hmm. basically creates our uh um custom post type and some of the supporting fields but it doesn't add anything to the front end um on its own so i can pick and choose explicitly what i want out of that so i'm stripping this down getting rid of all these extraneous plugins you know seo stuff i'm going to build in just from yeah. scratch so there's no extra seo plugin i'm going to build in some caching and things so I'm saying all of this because I want us to take a bet. I'm hoping probably by April I will have this thing in the can and probably released to the wild. And we are going to mm-hmm. do an, a whole episode actually going into what we did, how we did it, why we did it in some cases. We are, we're going to do an episode. We're going to talk about the redesign and what we did and all that. But before we do that, the reason I bring this up is I want us to take bets with each other. I have ran no preliminary tests so far on, on the – uh, on the theme the only thing i've tested is accessibility which as of right now we have zero uh automatically detectable accessibility problems in the theme so just high five us boom uh but i want to take a bet so we are 69 on desktop 46 on mobile but what what are we betting on though um well we're betting what? on what the score will be after the redesign got it okay okay um we need to come up with what we are going to uh bet I mean, okay. not much of a bet if we don't have something on the line, right? Right. Um, um, whoever, here we go. How about this? Whoever, uh, whoever loses, um, has to uh, buy a copy of "Don't Make Me Think" that we'll give away on a future episode. Yeah, that's that's good. I like it. They'll, you'll you'll uh, uh, for folks who don't know, the podcast does not pay for itself. We we shell out that money. <laughs> So, okay, yeah, so that's what we're going to do. Whoever, uh, once we do this, we'll uh, give away a copy of Don't Make Me Think, or maybe something else. We'll find a book. Um, We'll find some good web development tome or or content strategy um, um, writ that we will give away, and the loser has to pay for it. Um, Okay, so here's, I'm going to take the first swing at this. I'm going to say, and here's here's how we'll gauge this. Let's set some ground rules. So there's two scores, right? There's mobile Mm -hmm. and there's desktop. So we'll, we'll guess on both of them. And then we will add them together, and mm-hmm. it will be like total differential in score. So that's going to okay. be 115 is the baseline. So 69 sure. plus 46 is 115. So okay. whoever has the smallest differential between their total and the actual outcome, then. Uh, so if we. Okay. So like a composite. Gotcha. Right. So like if, just okay. to put it simply, like if we scored 100 on both. That total is 200, and if I said we're going to score 95 on both, then mm-hmm. I said 190, it was actually 200, so the differential was 10. Got and it. If you said we got worse, and we would only get 10 on each, obviously you you, you lose. Does that... Right. I'm going through all these rules like we're like doing what this if, legally with everybody else, but... <laughs> what, what should uh, tiebreakers be for... Like, let's say that both of us were off by 10. You overshot, I undershot. Oh. Um, I think, I think in general, under should beat over. Okay. Think of it like Price is Right. You know, yeah. Uh, the closest without going over 
is mm-hmm. I think probably a fair assumption there because okay. let's not be overly optimistic and sure. and think too highly of ourselves. And let's let's add a tiebreaker, which is page load time. Okay. So we'll we'll take a stab at what we think. So here, let me uh let me pull up Drunken UX right now and I'll give you what the baseline load speed is. Okay, according to the uh, dev tools in I'm using Chrome here, our finish time is 6.51 seconds. Okay. So that's what we're looking for. Is it, so, is it first contentful paint or is that finish finish? That's finish finish. Would you rather okay. go with load speed or DOM content loaded? We can do finish finish. That's fine. Finish finish is 6.51 seconds. So okay. we'll be looking for an improvement on that. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So my, my guess is mobile. I think we're going to improve to an 81. I think okay. our desktop is going to improve to a 92. Wow. I'm yeah, I I'm writing most of the code, so I'm I'm thinking incredibly <laughs> highly of myself in this. Sure. Sure. But arguably, and I I will admit this straight out, I do have some control here because I could test this in the meantime and be like, "Oh, I'm at 91. I need to push it a little harder and I can I can find some optimization." <laughs> so, this does favor me, I think a little bit more than you probably, but I will I promise not to cheat too hard on it. I'm going to I'll be I'll be the bad cop here and I'll go with what my what I thought they would be initially and I'll say 80 for desktop and 70 for mobile. Okay. It's about 10 lower on each. So um, as long as I don't go wildly over, I think I'm okay. So I'm going to yeah. say for my tiebreaker um if we need it for page load speed, I think mm. we can get down to 3.42 seconds. That's a finish time. What what are we at? Six point five right now. Six, yeah. Was it six five one? Uh, yeah, six five one. I think I'll go with. I like the number four point eight. Okay. Seems like a nice. It has lots of even numbers in it. Yeah. And just for everybody, um, we've talked about this before, but if you're wondering what the difference is between. DOM content loaded versus load versus finish. The finish time is the the time as it's calculated from when like all of your HTML is loaded, but also all blocking and non-blocking um, resources are downloaded as well as like any promises, any asynchronous stuff that's happening in the background. Like basically it's everything has resolved. That's something, it's interesting if you ever go to like, especially like a news site or something like that, You'll actually, if you open up your dev tools and just watch the network panel, that finish time will keep going up and 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 up. I broke my brain. It keeps going up because they have like beacons and stuff that are running in the background for tracking and things like that. So it means the page is never truly finished in the eyes of the dev tools. Right. So that's where you see it. We don't have anything like that. So that's why we can rely on that finish time. Is like that's that's the true like this page is absolutely done. So we don't load any media in the background or anything like that. We, we originally did this in episode 68, right? That was the one with the oh, I don't page know. performance is page uh, yeah. performance. Yeah. Um, just as for, uh, for a, I don't know, bonus round. Mm-hmm. This doesn't mean anything, but what about page size? So we're at, um, right now mm-hmm. the, the, the transfer 
I'm going to go off transfer size because this means like, you know, this is like compressed, right? Okay. So wait, size. Hold on. Is this including, because we have the player on the homepage, is this including the no blob of, okay. So not the player data, not right. the MP3. Yeah. We, we do not preload the audio content okay. behind the scenes. Like this is just the page weight itself. All right. Uh, right now, for what it's worth, actually not bad. 1.6 megs. That's oh wow. Honestly, pretty good. Um, I'm gonna okay. say, uh, I think I can get us down to 1.2 megs. That that might be I'm, a little big. I'm gonna go. Uh, or, or are we scrapping jQuery? Yes. I'm gonna go with. I'll go with 690k. Okay. So it's it's on me to uh to make, make it sure, chunky. Well, to, <laughs> no, uh, to make sure that I'm optimizing images well. Yeah, yeah, you know, because that's really, you know, at that point with the the background graphics and stuff like that, you know, that's going to be a big chunk of that. But you know, theoretically, yeah, I mean, I I think that may be actually doable. So there you go. That's uh, we we've set this up. This is your place, your bets around. Um, if you want to shoot us a message on Twitter or Facebook and let us know what you think your uh, what your guess would be. Um, maybe that's uh, we'll we'll hash this out in between episodes. But maybe that's what we'll do to give away um a buck because. To see maybe who can oh guess, yeah who who gets who guesses closest. closest yeah yeah the person who guesses closest gets a book bought by the person of you or I that didn't guess closest that didn't guess closest yeah, yeah. so that'll we'll we'll work that out in the background and I'll <laughs> I'll post some actual um, rules to that uh, down the road cool so we went over to Reddit and just kind of perused around r slash uh, webdev. And I saw some questions there, and I'm like, I'm going to grab these questions, and we're just going to answer them. Um, so this will be kind of a fun little uh, a mishmash of of topics. Um, nothing real, like, super heavy. Um, some of this is pretty introductory. Some of it's technical. Some of it's not. Um, this first question, for instance, this comes from um, Losandis. They okay. asked, uh, how common is it for developers to have multiple roles with different companies? They say, I've heard that some developers take on multiple roles and in turn have several six-figure salary incomes. How practical is this? Is this really that common? <laughs> I feel like it would be easy to become burnt out and I'm having trouble understanding how some people balance it all. So this is very much a burnout question, a responsibilities question. I, <laughs> My first thought of that is like, that's some bullshit right there. Like, <laughs> why are you going to take multiple six-figure roles and multiple companies? Like, that's shitty. Like, there are a bunch of people who would love to take that kind of role and have one of those. And you're holding several? Well, I it it might uh, <laughs> it might be a case of the wording there. I don't know that they're mm -hmm. saying, like, they've heard of people that the one person is taking up multiple roles. Mm. But, like, they've just heard of people, like, collectively covering yeah. multiple roles and as because this something similar happened to me actually at one of my first jobs where they cut us down from two people to just me but mm -hmm. in turn they gave me half the other person's salary um mm. so it's like they you know they sort of smushed things up and that's kind of how i think you get to some of that thinking um i will say this let me let me start with this because mm -hmm. they started with it Money yeah. can only make up for getting spread so thin. Yeah. That that job that gave me a higher salary after they got rid of the other person, they were very smart to do that because they were doubling my workload. Uh, mm -hmm. And they knew that if they doubled my workload and made me work for the same amount of money, 
I was going to walk. Like that was sure. that was not even a question. And so they got out ahead of it. They still saved money overall, mm-hmm. but they also paid me enough. I was not making six figures. I was not making anywhere near <laughs> six figures at that point. Um, but there is certainly a point where those workloads, you you can only throw so much money at a person and this goes straight to what we just talked about in burnout, right? Like, yeah, I will put up with a lot of stuff for money, but there will be, there will come a threshold where your time outweighs any dollar value they're going to throw at mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And you have to value yourself enough at that point. Now, where you are in your career affects where that line is, where you are, you know, professionally, where, you know, you are in terms of how much you make now versus, you know, are you moonlighting? Are you doing other things already? Um, my my other thing I would say is I think it's very common. Really? Um, the, the, the notion, there's, there's a couple questions here, right? One mm-hmm. is how many developers take on multiple roles? I think that's. Oh, well, that's a given. That's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. I mean, but, but this, but I, what I'm getting from this question though, is that they're saying you're not only taking, you're not wearing multiple hats, you're holding multiple roles and getting paid for all those roles, like yeah. multiple incomes. I, I can't, like, I can't imagine, I, I can understand a company doing like something, what, what they did with you, where they merged two positions and then paid, gave you a pay bump. Yeah. Um, I, every employer that I've ever worked for has always had a like a clause in the hiring con- hiring agreement that um I'm not allowed to hold full time work for anyone else, especially a competitor or especially someone right. in the same industry. Non compete. So yeah, yeah. So it's well, let's let's separate these two parts out um, and keep it easy. First mm-hmm. and foremost, I've heard that some developers take on multiple roles. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's common. Yes, everywhere. I mean, roles overlap, you know, even as a developer or whatever. It's like, it's natural for you to do things. How often do you say UI, UX lumped together? Right, yeah. UI and UX are two different roles, arguably, two different specialties, but... What is is full stack if not work persevering, right? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) No, like, but full, full stack implies, like, usually when people say full stack, it's like, DevOps, backend, database, front end, and then whatever else incidentally comes up with those. Yeah. Which, yeah, each one of those in turn can be its own mm-hmm. discipline, um, as it were. So and and the smaller company is, the more likely it is that they that you mm-hmm. will do that. Um larger companies, I think, obviously are better at diversifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, like you, you will never get away from that. It's it's, I think, a rare, rare beast that's like you get hired into a design role and that's literally the only thing you do. And, and I, I yeah. would argue that that's bad. Like you need to have an understanding of the adjacent disciplines and be able to flow in and out of those a little bit to be good mm-hmm. at what you do. You need to speak those vernaculars. You need to understand why those disciplines exist and, and what makes them valuable. doesn't mean you have to do them full time. It's kind of like when I, and this is going to be something I'm going to be talking about soon on on the show, is analytics, right? Even if you're a developer, I would argue it's immensely important to understand how Google Analytics works so that you can build things that are trackable. And then you can make informed, intelligent decisions about changing that based on user data. Um, So the role thing, I, I think, is definitely 
that's yeah, that's an easy one. You take on multiple roles. Yeah. You just do. Um, and how far that goes depends on the organization and the needs and what you're willing to put up with, quite frankly. I, I think if we just omit the having several six-figure fi- six salary incomes, because that seems weird. I've, I've never heard of someone doing that before. Well, let's simplify it. Roles. Yeah. Let's keep that simple. Every, let's just say... Everything else, though, I'm in agreement with you. Let's just say somebody take who who does multiple things. Let's let's say like a, a full stack developer. Mm-hmm. But let's say a full stack developer who got hired as the web developer. Like that's just the okay. title they were given. They're web sure. developer. But when they walked into this company, they learned well what you re- what they really need is a full stack. They have a server in a closet. Mm-hmm. You know that right. they want to move to AWS or something like that. And they need somebody to do that and to put the database up there and to set up a light sale instance and all of this. And that person is you. So you got hired to be a web developer. <laughs> Reality is you're a full stack developer with all of these roles. Um, you got you got hired into an orchard of low hanging fruit. Yeah, at that point. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when we think about this idea of the six figure salary income, this mm-hmm. person is taking on multiple roles. Could they make six figures doing that? Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. Here's where I think the commonality starts to break, though. Is it common for somebody who walks into one of those roles, is it common for them to make a six-figure salary income? I would say no. I think it depends. I I think it depends on where you are. Yeah. First and foremost. What your experience is. But, yeah, that's going to be the thing, right? Six-figure salaries are really reserved for senior level developers, designers, researchers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can go to salary.com. Um, you can go to check my salary.careers. Um, you can go to these places and then punch in what you make and see how it compares to other people in your region or across the U S what you're going to find is to make six figures. You need, three to five years experience, or you need to be operating in a highly specialized area. Like if you are doing like hardcore machine learning, you know, computer science level stuff. Yeah. You can come out of college and make 120 grand. Um, That is a possible thing, but very specialized. And ironically, you're not probably going to be taking on multiple roles. You're going somewhere to be an ML specialist, or you're going somewhere to be like one of those, like, you know, cloud architect, um, though arguably you could say that's multiple roles. But if you're like an AWS engineer, you've gone and gotten AWS certification. Yeah, you can make 120 grand a year doing that. And mm-hmm. your job is AWS, all the aspects of AWS, but still AWS. <laughs> um, so ironically, I think that higher income is more likely to come from specialization and experience. Not yeah. from especially experience, yeah, not from accumulating yeah. responsibilities, let's say mm-hmm. in fact, accumulating responsibilities is a surefire way to not get more money, you know, yeah, getting asked to do something and them learning, oh, he knows a little bit about databases. Would you just you know keep doing that if you don't sit there and say, "Well, yeah, but <laughs> you know, if you want me to do it instead of hiring a database engineer, you should give me ten thousand dollars more a year." <laughs> Which you can do and should do, like any time. I'm a huge advocate or a huge proponent of advocating for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. That's that's my thought on it. 
Yeah. Well, I think I think it's going to depend a lot on market. Um, if you are getting a job in a bigger, like East Coast, West the six, Coast, the the six figure incomes that I've seen have been in like metropolitan areas, New York City, DC, um, the Bay Area. Um, or like the other... cost of living a little heavier. Exactly. Yeah. And in a remote in a remote work climate, it's been really favorable for that. <laughs> it's the the stuff like the stuff you read about salary from like the, the big Silicon Valley companies, like unless you want to work for one of them. Um and I don't. I I'm not interested in working for a fang company. It seems like for all of the salary extra you get like the stress level would be just like not even worth it. <laughs> I, I think I'm too old too. I don't think they'd hire me. That's ageist. Well, I mean, it's true though. I I don't think they would. I think they want people like right out of college. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So moving on to question two, this comes from uh, avocado avocado with some uh, emoji stuff happening in front of their name. Um, <laughs> It's minus minus underscore minus avocado. Yeah, they're asking uh, what would be the best way to create a web page like this HTML CSS where there is a shape in the background, and so there's a screenshot in this one. I'll I'll describe it here. Um, he says ideally, he or she says ideally, this background shape will expand according to how long the text is in the section, but just oh. having a background shape is there. Uh, oh, I could do this cool. with absolute positioning, but is there an easier way? So. Here's what they're showing. There is, it's kind of like a, a date listing of things. Sure. And there is a, a header. And so the thing about this, it's like an, a section, right? It's an HTML section. Yeah. But on the top and bottom, it curves. So if this were a square box, it would kind of have a circle background to it, give or take. It looks, it looks like what would happen if you put a balloon into a narrow chamber and inflated it. Right. So as it gets top, longer, you're gonna yeah. have you're gonna More have a flat. space of flat, yeah, in the middle, yeah. but with a curvy top and a curvy bottom. Now, right. this is a screenshot, and there's no URL, so I can't tell what it does when you stretch it horizontally. Um, what yeah. that the way that curve behaves. Um, <gasps> oh yeah, like does does the curve become more pronounced or does it just scale? You know that kind of thing. Because there are a lot of ways mm. to go about this. Um, All right. I have an idea for how it approaches, but I want to hear yours. Okay. Um, mine is one of two. One of one of two ways I would go about this. I would either simply use an SVG background that's set to cover. Mm -hmm. Um, so that it would, you know, it's able to then always fill that space. Now that will in turn stretch. Um, you know, I the height probably wouldn't change. You can do it if you uh, set your height to viewport width units, mm -hmm. you know, you could say, I need this to be 15 viewport width units high. Then as you collapse it, it will actually scale a little, you know, in, in turn with the width. Um, if you just needed it to stretch, you know, horizontally, you could just set the height to, you know, 15 rams and just leave it and, and have it be good. The other way is you could have a, you know, just a background color or whatever with a clip path. And define a clip mm -hmm. path which boxes out your background. Now, this has a foreground and a background color along with it. So where the curves happen, there's white. It's a, it's a black background. But where it, the curves cut off the black background, it's white on top and it's purple down below. 
So you okay. so using that clip path could reveal the background color at that point. That's how I would okay. that's that's how I would go about it. Some of this depends on the art direction if you have any. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's just you making the decision, then do it the way you want. You know, right. you may have art direction coming from, you know, your lead designer or something, and they may say, Yeah, here is how I want this to scale, which would mm-hmm. impact whether or not you used a clip path or or what have you. So so what I would do, and this is kind of like an old, maybe like an old CSS approach, is I would have a fixed width container that contains the, the whole rounded shape and its contents, so that if you expand horizontally, that container remains the same width. So it never gets wider, it only gets longer. The The contents, I would probably use like a background or the top and bottom uh, curves, although that's kind of an old solution and maybe clipping path is the better way to do it nowadays. Um, yeah. So you're talking then, just like throw up like a PNG back there and yeah. 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 Um, or even I mean, you could probably do like a Jivers. I mean, that's pretty smooth though. I think. Yeah. Like in, in my head, I'm thinking like, how do I do it without any like raster artifacts, for instance? Yeah. Yeah. Ping would be better. Um, um, and then, and then the middle section where it's flat, um, that would be a portion that would, could expand like infinitely because it's basically a rectangle. Yeah. You have like, like an arc, like a kind of a button convex shape sitting on top of a, it basically looks like a hamburger. The buns are the images and oh, then yeah, the burger part is a rectangle. Um, the, to me, the whole div or section or whatever just has a black background. Like, mm-hmm. like if you turned off the thing that's controlling the curvature on the top and the bottom, you would just be left with a rectangle that's black. And yeah. so I'm thinking like, okay, how would I just get rid of the black where I don't want it as opposed to painting over it? So if we, if you did like the raster effect, you would, mm-hmm. you would be more like covering the black, which I mean is a mm-hmm. fine approach, but um, that's sort of the difference between those two, uh, those two strategies. I think to get it to size right vertically, Probably my my first instinct is to do like you know a, a queer fix kind of thing, like having the um having the black portion, the shape contain the content, and then having a clear at the bottom of the content so that the black portion has to expand to accommodate it. But I think there's probably a better way to do it nowadays with flexbox. Yeah, you can go um, flexbox. Yeah, I I think that might be the better way to do it. The uh... The thing that jumps out at me, too, from a technique standpoint that I think is useful for people to try, you'll see this mm-hmm. in other contexts as well. And, like, one thing I'm seeing here, um, there's a an asterisk that is, like, separating sections. So the one mm-hmm. in question is awards and certifications. And then at the bottom of the screenshot, there's oh, the start of a, a skill section, and there's this asterisk yeah. there. You'll also see this when people use, like, line separators. Um Mm. We talked at the start of the show about the redesign of the Drunken UX site. I'm using a similar uh, approach for the uh, mobile menu dropdown so that there's a little horizontal rule in between menu items. Mm-hmm. And the way you go about that is by using um, before and after pseudo selectors in CSS. And so you mm-hmm. can say, I want a before element that is this pseudo element. It's not a real thing, it's something that's there for the design position it absolutely within your div at the top and do an after one at the bottom. And Mm -hmm. then you can style those elements explicitly 
and have them positioned within your div exactly where you need them and have everything else flow on top of them because everything else will be relative. Mm -hmm. But that's that's abstract and hard to maybe convey over, you know, over a podcast. But um, <laughs> if you look those up at before, after pseudo selectors um, and, you know, with separator or something like that as your keyword in your search, you'll you'll see some examples of that kind of approach that I think will start to make sense, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay, number three. Number three is fun. This one's a little longer. How to refresh text on a single page for a game script. And this is from Blink64. He says, hello all. Game script. I am very new to web development and JavaScript, so I apologize for what is likely a question with an obvious answer. I am basically wanting to know if my idea is possible and maybe get some advice on the best way to implement it. I have been learning Python and wrote a script that is basically a Wheel of Fortune game. The game is completely played within the terminal. I am slowly trying to build a per personal portfolio hmm. page and would love to have a web-based JavaScript version of this game. Some of the things I do not like about the current Python version is that the terminal just scrolls down and new lines are created as you play the game, including it always printing the player's current score after each round as well as the menu of play options. I'd like to mm -hmm. implement this on a web page and have the page dynamically refresh the important game messages, game board, and game's current score, but also have some static items like buttons to control whether the player wants to buy a vowel or guess a consonant, etc. Is this possible? It's a lot. Hmm. Does that make sense? Did I uh, yeah, did I read that? I think well? so. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, well, I guess like the one one problem is with anything with terminal is it scrolling is easier and rewriting onto the page where like statically is a lot harder yeah. to do. I'm, I'm going to go with the though. assumption. He said that rewriting it in JavaScript is mm -hmm. apparently an option. So let's just start there and say, yes, rewrite it in JavaScript. Oh um, yeah. Like yeah. first and foremost. I, I love questions like this, by the way, I, I frequent the, um, the rails and Ruby subreddits and I love newbie questions because it's like a great opportunity to like kind of reverse gatekeep and help welcome people into the community and help them out with problems and help build their confidence. And like, it's like the, the first interaction someone has with, a, with a, any kind of community will greatly influence their likelihood of sticking around. And so I, I love those opportunities. Yeah. So this is great. Like I love questions like these. I, I think depending on how bold blink 64 is feeling, one of mm -hmm. the things you could do is write this as an angular app that's on the page. Angular already has two-way binding built into it. So when it comes to something like updating fields, you know, he talks about the score field um, mm. and game messages and the game board. Those things could just be, um, you know, uh, like POJOs or something like that in, in the Angular app that are bound to those elements. So when the variable changes, the value on the screen just changes instantly, like Angular just solves that problem straight out. I, I'm not disagreeing with Angular as a possible solution, but I, I think in this context, because this person is clearly very new, having them move into a framework before they have a good handle on the language is probably not. Oh, yeah. Good. Like, that's that's definitely yeah. a, a big cake to bite <laughs> into, no doubt. Yeah. But I, I, just, I say it more just to emphasize what he's talking that, about is a, sure. is a theory called two-way binding. He's okay. got variable data that needs to be reflected on the page when it changes. And yeah. Angular just happens to be really good at that. 
I think um so my my classic classic web approach to this is um it, you know you have you have UI changes that you want to do so that's going to be JavaScript and I I'm going to guess since it's Will Fortune I'm going to guess that he wants or they want each um letter to be like its own thing that it can change and not just have like the current word reprint on the yeah. screen in the in text box um so I think what I'd probably do is uh like assign like if we're like discussing solutions here like assign it like a unique id to each of the like letter boxes and then a like an ajax call requesting a letter and then the ajax call responding with which ids to update and then updating those with javascript to create query selectors that's that's like a very um I, it's like it's a very classic approach yeah but but i think i don't i don't know that this person's needs necessitate something more complicated than that at this point especially if they're looking to just build their portfolio yeah you know there's a lot to say for do you want it to just do the thing you want it to do or do you want to try to write it like in the most efficient manner i would usually argue that if you're if it's something i want to show off i want mm -hmm. it to also show off efficiency and whatnot if it's just something mm -hmm. i'm making that i need to use for my own website or like I'm going to throw a couple words out here if anybody wants to go mm -hmm. Google it um, as part of the solution. I would do something like, A, you don't need to ID anything. I don't think that's necessary, except for like your uh, spaces. So score. The score, yeah. I could very much see just having an ID on it for simplicity's sake. Mm -hmm. But like, let's say the words. So, you know, the, the game board that has the, the solution on it. All you need to know mm -hmm. is how big it is. That's it. If you stored the solution in a string and used what's called a spread operator, uh, which is just putting brackets and then three dots around mm -hmm. your uh, brackets, three dots, and then your variable name, what it will do is you can then pass that to a map function, which on a string means it's going to literally spread that string out character by character and then do a for each on them. So Okay. When somebody picks a letter, what you can do is trigger that spread operator, have it run the map, and say, did whatever was just clicked match any index in our solution? And if it mm -hmm. did, then every index of a letter box fill with that letter. Okay. Uh, so it's like your your mapping from your solution to your game board is completely and totally agnostic of any solution you ever pass to it um, and is 100% reusable the that's that's one thing that's again that's that's a hard concept to convey in text yeah. words um, I'll see about uh, I'll throw something in the show notes for the spread operator um, to kind of show some examples of that it's super cool super useful the other thing though that goes to the heart of what he's asking about how do I change something on the page so let's mm. say it's the scoreboard, right? I need to show, you know, this person just made $1,000. You need to obviously know the score element. So you would probably have a player one score, a player two score, a player three score. And the specific JavaScript method that you want to tie into for those objects is either inner text or inner HTML, depending on what you want to put in there probably just inner text but that lets you 
select a node. So you would you would do something like you know document dot get element by ID player score one, mm-hmm. and say player score one dot inner text equals you know uh, in this case you if you had it with like an integer or something you could just do like a plus equals um plus equals 1000 or whatever um yeah or you know however you're formatting that if it's just a string you could just you could literally just take that number out parse it to an integer add it format it stick it back in um but that's the simple way like I, it, it's literally that easy just chain target the inner text of an element and pass it whatever value you need it to have Number four comes from Techie Dad. Techie Dad wants to know about finding files that aren't referenced anymore. This is also a long one. Um, I have an old classic ASP application portal that I created for my company almost a decade ago. It contains many different web applications, all running under the same base look and feel using commonly included ASP, CSS, and JavaScript files. Obviously, this isn't very up-to-date technology-wise, but it works for the small applications that, that it runs. The problem is that while I don't have the time to redevelop all of the applications using more current web technology, the folders have accumulated a lot of detritus. That's always a hard word for me to say. I say detritus. Is that wrong? Detritus? I don't know. Maybe that is right. Huh. Uh, For for me, it's it's Latin, and I I go back to high school, and I'm thinking, (laughs) well, it's a short I in that case. It doesn't have a Macron over it. (laughs) You you might be correct. I always want to put a second R in there. I want to say like Deratris or something like that is what my brain wants to say. (laughs) Um, There are ASP files that were once used and are no longer in use. There are JavaScript files that were replaced with other scripts. There are CSS files that aren't used anymore. My issue is locating these files. There are 5,200 files to go through. If I want to check to see if some file.asp is still in use, I can run a text search to quickly find any references to it. If there are none, I can remove it. Uh, this is tedious to do on a large scale, though, obviously. Um, I don't really want to search through almost 1,500 JavaScript files one by one to see which ones are and aren't referenced. Mm. Basically, he has, a, he has a website. This website runs on a mm-hmm. server. The server has files on it. He's trying to figure out, how do I locate the files I can get rid of to reduce the footprint? I actually wrote a Ruby script that did this years ago when I worked at Cornell to solve this very problem, but with images. So they wanted to know what images we could get rid of yeah. that weren't being referenced anymore. And um, I I solved it. Uh, I basically used regex on the files and I looked for, on all the source HTML. Um, and I would look through and find any reference to an image that matched a uh, like a file name pattern ending in an image extension that we used. And then I would, like every file that would be looked at, it would just build out this big list of, um, you know, which which file was referencing it, what file was being referenced. And then from that asset list, it would take the asset list and then it would scan our asset folders and then it would compare the two and then basically give a differential, right. like what files aren't being referenced at all. Were, um, were you using grep under the hood for that? Is that, um, or was there like some I Ruby think... function that specifically did it I, I think i was i think i was iterating directly using ruby's file io gotcha but but nowadays though what i'd probably do is i probably do like rip grep or something yeah. um do you use rip grep i don't know i'm assuming they have it on windows also on on mac you can get it with like a homebrew brew install rip grep and on linux it's just like sudo apt install um on ubuntu sudo apt install rip grep 
it's uh it's grep but rewritten in rust oh and it, interesting it does fancy stuff with things that rust is able to do that are faster and more optimized yeah um than old grep yeah grep basically it's, is a, it's great though grep's basically a linux command line application mm-hmm. that lets you do things like search inside of files so you can run it on mm-hmm. a directory like a web services directory and and do kind of what he was uh, what the techie dad was describing you can search through the files the problem is it's a you know a one at a time kind of thing so obviously the the you know the well you can you can do you can do a reg- so you can do grep uh, if you grep or rip grep you can pass a regular expression to right. it that is the file name and then you can tell it um it, the output will include the file name that is looked at as well as what was what was matched what was found within each file um so it'll give you a full report and there's command flags you can do that will like kind of either show you just the file names or just the output or whatever however you want it to be yeah the challenge there is you have to be comfortable with like linux scripting you know bash scripting or something <laughs> like that. um there are a little bit yeah. there are two ways you could go about this that are tool-based that I know of. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll throw these out there. One is a, a script and then you can just go grab it off uh, GitHub. We'll have a link to it in the show notes called web orphans. And what it does is it takes a domain name and it takes a local directory. It crawls the website, making a list of all the files that it has. And then it crawls the local directory and makes note of all of the files that it didn't, ping off of as it was going through all that so that's one option now obviously that is a command line tool that runs on linux um so you have to have some kind of server access regardless and that's true no matter what you want to do here you're going to have some kind of access um the other is a a graphical tool um xenu link sleuth have you used this aaron Mm-mm. um xenu no. link sleuth go, goes back years like i don't think it's even been updated in probably a decade um but it's like one of those super basic um, user-friendly crawl my site and tell me errors type tools. Um, real great for finding 404s on your website, things like that, because it's just a basic crawler. It's a spider. Um, but it has some extra things it can do. One of the things it can do is if you give it FTP access to your server, it can okay. use that while it's crawling to give you an orphan file report. So it crawls your site. It does exactly what the web orphans does, but instead of running on the server and taking a local directory, Xenu uses FTP to get into your directory hmm. and compare that okay. against what it crawls on your website. Um, Xenu works on Windows, though, which is maybe beneficial to a lot of folks. Um, and like I say, you just have to have FTP access. You don't have to have FTP access to use it for 404 checking or anything like that, but for the orphan file check, you do. So those are my hmm. two um, two suggestions there. Besides manual. <laughs> eyeball everything <laughs> i would say if you if you are in web development um and you're looking for a fun and easy and useful way to level up um learning how to use grep effectively is awesome because you 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 can look at not just like files like going through files but you can look through any stream of text so if you're tailing a log yeah. you can tell it you can pipe it through grep and say only show me only show me log entries that um, begin with 404 or um, if you're looking through a massive text file, like, uh, you know, show me this text file, but only show me lines that have like the word box in them or whatever. It's a great tool. 
Okay, our last question for the day is from Bib Bibim Pop Drop Top Bibi Bibi Bibim Bob Drop Top. That they are asking <laughs> for a local services business, WordPress or my basic dev HTML CSS JavaScript skills. Uh, so I have a decent understanding of HTML JavaScript CSS Node. The most complex project I have built is probably just a to-do list that is that uses local storage. I am just barely starting to learn SEO. A friend wants me to build a website for his local business. It would likely just be a landing page with information about his services, reviews, brought in from his socials, and his contact information. In the future, we might add more complex features like booking an appointment through the site. This is mm -hmm. more of an emergency service, so SEO is very important. Also, I have never deployed a site that will have actual traffic. <laughs> I don't know much about security or improving load speeds. For these reasons, I've been looking at WordPress as it seems that that will cover much of my shortcomings. But I would prefer to not have to learn a whole platform if I don't have to. Am I overthinking this? Is handing, or handling security and load speeds in SEO that much harder when building from scratch? Or does WordPress actually provide major advantages for these types of sites? There's a lot of other questions that I have to know before I made a recommendation, but based on the fact that this person has a fair understanding of HTML and CSS and that the needs of the business are effectively just basic knowledge, basic information, static information, I would recommend like a static site generator deploying to like Netlify or something or GitHub pages or whatever. Uh, I wouldn't even go that far. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, they sound very much like a junior dev, um, clearly. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the, when they say, I've never had a site that gets actual traffic, I mean. Yeah. So the the <laughs> thing is, while, yes, a static site generator, I think, could do this, I think mm -hmm. that's a, it's kind of like the- It's overkill, Yeah, too. it's kind of like that, or that yeah. earlier uh, question. It's like, yeah, that's a bit much, I think, to get into for that. No, you're right. You're right. I, static site is, I think, what I meant. Yeah, yeah. What I was thinking just of. Just static just HTML. Not, yeah, yeah, not like, I mean, WordPress would be easy to set up, and I guess like design wise, it would be simpler because there's a lot of pre baked themes. Um, but I mean, I I would say stay away from care, WordPress. Karen feeding involved. Yeah, I, I would stay away from WordPress. I don't think it's needed. I yeah. think it's extra. Um, one thing you could do, and and that I've done in the past for people who have needed this exact kind of thing, like they just they they need the brochureware type site, right? Mm -hmm. GitHub repo, GitHub pages. You now have a server and yeah. a place to put your code and keep it managed. Um, it'll host all your images. It'll host all your JavaScript, CSS. Like it, it works, and you can point a custom domain at it if they need one. Um, the answer or the question of SEO is kind of interesting. Like it, they've included this as kind of a need, but learning SEO is certainly a different skill set from learning HTML necessarily. Um, now we did do our episode here uh, a few weeks back about head, right? Everything that should go into a head. Um, mm -hmm. So all those meta elements, all those meta tags, all learning good SEO is mostly from a developer standpoint is knowing which tags yeah. to include. Um, obviously I say that and, and somebody's already saying, Michael, that's a dumb thing to say. <laughs> SEO is much more than that. I know. But not to a developer. <laughs> Content strategy affects SEO, all of this. You know, I get that. But it sounds like they this is going to be a brochureware website. The biggest SEO value is going to come from making sure it's marked up correctly. I would say go listen to that episode. What was it 70, 69, something like that? Um, yeah. Go listen to the episode on, on head tags. Just go look up 
head tags for SEO. It's going to be your open graph stuff. It's going to be your description. It's going to be your title. And the other thing you can layer in then to add some more values, go to schema.org. So he doesn't say what this person's business is, but mm-hmm. there are business markup, uh, schema markups, you know, uh, RDF setups that you can add in there. So if it's a restaurant, you could add menu data into it. You could add hours into it and mark those up so that services like Google can interpret them. Um, phone number, okay. contact information, where it's located. So that if somebody's searching for, you know, uh, car mechanics in Columbus, Ohio, that site comes up. Like it knows that business is in Columbus, Ohio because you've included that metadata appropriately in your markup. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say this goes back to the restaurant episode um, number four. Um, Kiss Pam. Kiss Pam. Remember that? <laughs> keep it simple, stupid. Phone address menu. Yep. Keep keep your stuff limited to what you need. <laughs> Go. There's a a site we'll have linked um, in the show notes. It's called HTML Five Up. Um, it's this guy named AJ who's gone out and made like a dozen, maybe fourteen. Um, website templates that are completely static HTML and CSS. They are free for use. I think they're just Creative Commons licensed, if my memory is right. They're pretty good looking. They will solve most of the problems you have. There are examples of them in use in different situations with different businesses. So that's a good place to go to just get a quick theme, find one that looks good for what they need. You throw that in GitHub pages, add the little extra schema markup that you need to help SEO out, and boom, you have a website that's a perfect brochureware website. The hosting is free. Have them pay for the domain name. You are good to go. Security is not, he mentioned security. There's no security to worry about because you're not collecting information. If you're going to add a appointment booking thing, just go get a platform for that and just link into it at that point. Mm-hmm. That would be my recommendation for it. I don't know. Does that, uh, does that mesh with what you'd be thinking? Yeah, I think so. Um, the the stuff about the schema.org stuff is really cool. Um, it's easy to add. It's just markup. Like it's it's yeah. just a method of doing markup either with JSON objects or with classes and, and elements on, uh, you know, in your HTML. Nothing hard about it. It's just finding one that's appropriate. I think another big thing is like don't sweat SEO so much. Yeah. Um, I mean, if this is a local business and – if SEO is going to make or break that business, that business is in more trouble than they think they are. All right. You know, I, I was going to say, I, I don't mean this in a mean way, but if it's a local business and they are a size to where it is appropriate to hire or ask someone who is as an, as much of a novice as this person clearly is, they're probably not having a huge internet footprint. And so SEO isn't going to really matter. Yeah. Either, you know, either whatever the company is, tire place or restaurant or whatever. If you search for the name of that restaurant in your area, it'll probably come up. It'll, Google has probably, it will probably index it automatically. I, I would say you want to definitely cover the basics, like make sure that you list it with Google correctly. Make sure that you keep it up to date. You know, cover cover the basic things just to make sure that it's getting listed correctly. That's enough search engine optimization. (laughs) It's a case of, right, you know, most good SEO can happen in that, you know, first 80%. That's all really easy to do, which just comes largely from good markup and and good metadata. That last 20% is like, 
what differentiates Amazon from Walmart and, you know, places like that. But each mm-hmm. percentage beyond that 80 is, like, harder to get and even harder to measure, you know? Like, is this thing, is this change we're doing making a bigger difference? And it gets into stuff like, now we have to talk content strategy. Now we have to talk about, you know, keyword density. Now we have to talk about all of these other things that start factoring in inbound links. And um, that gets hard, like, and the return on those starts to outweigh uh, or rather not outweigh the investment it takes to get unless you're in one of those high high competition industries so the drunken ux podcast is brought to you by our friends at new cloud new cloud is an industry leading interactive map provider who has been building location based solutions for organizations for a decade Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenux. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenux. Well, I hope everybody found that useful. I, I had fun with that. I'd like to do this more often. We may bounce around to some other places. Maybe we'll, we'll pull from Quora. Maybe we'll pull from Twitter um, or something like that. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, feel free to send it over to us. Um, we've been bouncing around some other ideas about how we may integrate this with the uh, business strategy for the podcast down the road. So, um, I can can I say what I was saying earlier before the probably show? the idea. Um, I was thinking it'd be pretty cool, and maybe get some feedback about this from you all if we did something sort of like this for Patreon subscribers, um, you can punt us your questions. And if not, we'll find questions that we like from around the internet and then uh, kind of do like an unfiltered take for maybe half an hour or something. Which is to say when we launch our Patreon. It is not launched as of yet, but it is in in progress. And I'm waiting on a nice day to go outside with my camera to record a little video intro for it. And I think we're good to go. Yeah, yeah. Let us know what you think about that, because I I enjoy this. I think this is a fun way to kind of tackle some of these intro kind of level questions for junior folks or or mid-tier folks that are trying to learn, you know, how to think about some of these problems. So if you like it, let us know. Connect with us. Let us know what you think about that on Facebook or Twitter.com slash DrunkenUX and Instagiggles.com slash DrunkenUX podcast. And also come see us on the Discord, which is DrunkenUX.com slash Discord. The bad part is I went over to Reddit and I, I just kind of pulled these questions at, at random um, and mm-hmm. tried to find, you know, people that had things that I thought other folks would benefit from hearing about. And um, I'm I'm going to start kind of keeping maybe a backlog of these questions and, and you know, uh, for future type episodes and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the the bad part about it is I'm going through all this work to, to log all these questions and, and keep track of the users who are writing them and all of this. And I feel like I'm actually doing more work to keep them close to me so that I don't forget about them rather than keeping my personas close, but my users closer. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.